A minister and a rabbi walk into a parking lot. Sounds like the beginnings of a bad joke, but for one man, it was the miracle he'd been waiting for. Karen and I walked out to our cars and she said, tell me again, what was going on? And I did, and she just said, well, I'll give you one of mine. That's Andy Bosov, a kidney recipient, musician, advocate, and this year's Walk for Kidneys chair. I'm Sarah Jane Castro, Director of Marketing and Communications for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host for this episode of The Journey Continues. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. You're quite welcome. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me a little bit about your history with kidney disease prior to your transplant? I started with ulcerative colitis. And one of the very common medicines that people take for UC, unfortunately, killed my kidneys. I was like that one in 10,000 person with such a severe adverse reaction. We didn't find out right away. It, It took a couple of years of taking that medication until my blood work showed that my kidney numbers were way off. And that started my journey with kidney disease. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That must have been quite shocking. Kidneys are things that just do their thing. And uh, until you need to know about them because they're malfunctioning, nobody really thinks about them much when they're healthy. Mm -hmm. But they have become a major part of my day-to-day vocabulary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. So when did you learn that your kidneys were failing and you would need a transplant? It was around 1997. Had you gone on dialysis before that? No. Okay. So that's when it was first discovered. Um, Then I had a biopsy to confirm what type and how bad it was. I was on medication for nine years. And then in the 10th year, the numbers started going bad and the medicine couldn't control the malfunctioning of my kidneys anymore. And that's when we started really talking about the need for transplant and dialysis for that matter. What were you feeling during that time? Well, it was upsetting because of the circumstances. I'm like the poster child for making sure that you have blood work done regularly. The complication was that I had moved to a new state and my first doctor that I hooked up with was a gastroenterologist because of the ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as I know, he knew that I didn't have a general practitioner as yet. So he really should have done blood work on me immediately just to get a base, but he didn't. And so for a couple of years under his treatment, everything was fine with the ulcerative colitis, except that my kidneys were dying. So two more years went by, and by that point, I was down to 24% and sinking. You find out your kidneys are failing. Did you end up going on dialysis? or did you I go did, right but not until the okay. 10th year after initial diagnosis. So I was actually in a transplant program at the University of Tampa, so I had to send blood up once a month. And after a year, they kicked me out because my, level wasn't, my levels weren't changing at all. But like I said, in the 10th year, things started going south. And so I finally had a fistula constructed in my arm. Actually, I started dialysis before I got the fistula. 
did you start looking for a kidney donor right away or did you, what were you thinking about like transplant and how to find a donor? So that was July when I started dialysis. By September, I was listed uh, with UNOS. My immediate family members tested and none of them qualified to donate. And that kind of took the fall. I'm sorry, that was 05, because then in January of 06 is when my eventual donor offered, I'll give you one of mine, she said, which is the name of my team for the Walk for Kidneys every year that I do it. And it took a year from that January until we uh, were both cleared for surgery and did the transplant January 23rd of 07. Well, tell me about your donor. How did you find her? Karen was a Methodist minister in the same community where I served as a reform rabbi. We were both part of an interfaith clergy group, which had not met in December because all the ministers were kind of busy in December. (laughs) And so at our first meeting in January, I was telling everybody about how I was listed and my family members were testing. And Karen and I walked out to our cars at the parking lot together. You know, that's where all the meeting stuff really happens in the parking (laughs) lot. And she said, tell me again, you know, like what was going on? And I did. And she just said, well, I'll give you one of mine. Let me talk to my husband about it and I'll get back to you. Well, nine o'clock the next morning, she called and said, we prayed about it last night. And Frank and I think it's exactly what God must want me to do. So what do I have to do to give you my kidney? Wow, that's incredible. It was. It was completely selfless of her. And uh, it took a little while for both of us to be cleared for surgery. In fact, it took almost 12 months. And we finally got the clearance the following December, right? So the end of the year now, end of 06, which was kind of momentous because a regional newspaper article was set to come out on the Sunday a week or week and a half, whatever, before Hanukkah and Christmas. And we found out that we both were cleared for surgery just before the article came out. So the reporter was able to add a little sidebar saying that we had been cleared for surgery and now the transplant is actually imminent. By that night, somebody called me and said, you know, I just saw your story online in the Jerusalem Post. Oh my gosh. And I just didn't realize like that that story in the regional New Jersey, Southern New Jersey paper would actually hit the wire, AP, and it started spreading by whatever time, I forget what time I started dialysis, I think 10, nine o'clock, whatever. In the morning, my phone started ringing off the hook for interviews. Wow. And if you Google my name, there are thousands. Every little paper that picked up the AP wire that day with the story, you know, mention us. So it was kind of our five minutes of fame. Yeah, well, um, that's an incredible story. And just that we found out within a, a day of each other that we were both cleared of the various issues. Karen yeah. actually had to undergo a hysterectomy over the summer. Oh, my goodness. And then still came back, tested again, and was cleared. So it was kind of amazing. She, she passed her initial testing perfectly, except for one lymph node in her abdomen. Um, so apparently after her gynecological clearance exam, 
she started uh, growing fibroid tumors and needed a radical hysterectomy over the summer. So in a sense, it was kind of good that she had some kind of forewarning. But then she got all through that. Meanwhile, one of my sisters-in-law tested and she uh, also didn't quite make it because her tubing was too short for my body. So come December, right before Christmas Hanukkah, we're both cleared for surgery. And um, the story just you know, goes up like a wildfire. Uh, So that by January 23rd, the date of the transplant at University of Pennsylvania Hospital, my then wife and surgeon had to have a news conference following the surgery because there were so many news outlets that were interested in the story. (laughs) Wow. Well, it sounds like life changed quite a bit for you then around that time. How How did life change after transplant? What did you feel like what was well, life like post First of all, I didn't have to go to dialysis anymore, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. and was just very, very lucky that everything went so well. Knock on Formica or whatever this surface is in the studio. <laughs> so, and really the only glitch along the way was that about a year and a half after transplant, I had to have my two original kidneys removed because they were getting tumorous and they didn't want mm-hmm. any issues to develop further from that. Yeah, I think that's something a lot of people don't realize is that unless there's a problem, you keep your original yeah, they kidneys. Just kinda, they just yeah. kind of sit there, right? So why is that advocacy work you mentioned, why is that so important to you? Well, my body is worth over a million dollars. I often joke that I'm worth more alive than dead. Um, and I received an amazing gift from Karen and from the medical insurance world. And I'm just the kind of person who repays a favor. Um, So I have a lifetime of favor to repay. And I wanna make sure that anybody who can avoid this by being properly cared for by their general practitioner or anybody else, people totally unaware of what kidneys do. Yeah. Um, and really how vital they are to our everyday functioning. But there are many other aspects uh, with regard to the insurance coverage that people receive or Medicare, Medicaid issues, and all these things are important. Just getting people to sign up to uh, offer their organs posthumously Mm -hmm. is still an issue. So you mentioned earlier that you're a rabbi. Has this experience affected your spirituality in any way? Not really. My spirituality leans toward the interpretation of God as creator of everything. And without getting too theological, I'm more of the uh, transcendent God that created and set things in motion. You know, we don't know how that all happened, but however it happened, that's what God is. Mm-hmm. So, as, as someone who appreciates life in all its forms, we all have to realize that not all apples are created equally. We may say that people are all equal, but physically we're not. And one person may have a severe reaction to a bee sting, even fatal, and the other person could have six of them and not even know it. Mm-hmm. So the same thing with kidney disease, the same thing with so many other conditions. So, um, you know, we all have to deal with what we have. As the saying goes, make lemonade. Yeah, yeah. Well, are there any connections 
between Judaism and organ donation? Is there like any sort of religious yeah. implication there? Basically, yes, um, both for receiving and donating. And the concept in Hebrew is called pikuach nefesh, which uh, loosely translated means the sustaining, the, the maintaining of the, the soul, but it's like the healthy aspect of the body. So you're supposed to keep a body alive as best as you can while you can. It wasn't so at first, but now even the most stringently orthodox also uh, interpret pikuach nefesh to include kidney donation and receiving. I love that. That's a beautiful sentiment and belief. I like that a lot. So we mentioned it a little earlier that you're a singer and a pianist. Mm -hmm. How has music impacted your physical and mental health, or how has it helped you as you've experienced some health issues? In a trite manner, I could say the show must go on. <laughs> um, music has been a uh, an identifying factor in my life since uh, before I could talk in full sentences. So um, singing and music, they've just always been a part of me. You wear a lot of hats. You garden, yes. you make music, you're an advocate. Yes, you show me the money. But yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I like wearing a lot of different hats. Yeah, well, what... What is something that you're you're most proud of that you've been able to accomplish because of your friend mm -hmm. Karen giving you her kidney? Well, I would actually say my role in kidney advocacy and raising awareness and raising some money. It's an absolute honor to be named the chairperson of this year's Walk for Kidneys. I um thrilled to be able to do that and promote my own team coming and participating, but also helping out in any way I can. Um, so the other thing that I'm getting to that I'm proud of is simply that my ability, my blessing that I'm able to keep going and doing everything that I do serves as inspiration to others. Well, let's talk some more about the Walk for Kidneys. It's sure. um, June 27th at Montrose Harbor. Can't wait. How did you get involved with the walk? I know you mentioned you and your donor participated in um, Philadelphia. In Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So how did you first hear about the walk? What drew you to the Walk for Kidneys? Well, I uh, have continued to be active with the National Kidney Foundation, um, I went to Springfield, Illinois with them uh, for an advocacy program a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, like I mentioned, I've also been active with the American Kidney Fund. When the notice came up on social media that they were looking for people to be on the committee, I said, me too, me too. <laughs> so I was very, very honored and surprised. Uh, that I would be selected for that. Yeah. Well, why do you think other folks should participate in this event? A, it's fun. Nothing like a walk on, on Chicago's lakefront. But otherwise, of course, to raise money for all the wonderful things, advocacy and research that the NKF Illinois and national, nationwide does to support the NKF and to raise awareness always. Always, there are always going to be people who need to understand 
just how precious their kidneys are and what they might need to do for preventive maintenance Mm -hmm. and proper health. I did become officially a kidney health coach uh, in order to have the credential to go out there and say all this stuff and mainly uh, to say, get your blood tested, make sure you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you're, we've talked a lot about you being a transplant recipient. So I assume you're still on medications that help oh, yeah. you keep your kidney. Sure. But those medications we know also put your immune system at risk. So how do you feel about being in a crowd for the walk this year? Is, does, do you have any hesitation? There's, there's a, a Yiddish expression where you either spit three times or you just say poo, poo, poo. Mm-hmm. Um, other people will say like, oh, don't tempt the evil eye, you know, can't, don't give it a cana horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will say this out loud <laughs> and not be superstitious <laughs> about it. Uh, my body has been very good to me. I generally don't get colds and flu and stuff like that easily. So if people are comfortable coming to the harbor, Wearing a mask, wearing a shield, great, come on out. Some people will not wear a mask, even though they might be asked to, but at least it's outside. And other people may still, particularly talking about transplantees or people with other immune compromises, will not be comfortable. So it's wonderful that like many such gatherings, it's going to be a hybrid and people can participate virtually and still see the opening ceremonies and walk around their living room or their apartment building or their house or whatever. Yeah, I think that's a perfect solution for someone who's maybe immunocompromised and feels a little concerned about being out Some people may not be allowed to get the vaccines. Right, right. There's an option to participate virtually and you still get to have all the, the fun and the activities just safely at home. Exactly. So what advice or encouragement do you have for those who are still waiting for a transplant or who are in that sort of limbo time you talked about earlier where your kidneys are failing, but you're not quite there yet? First of all, buckle your seatbelt and hold on for the ride. Even once somebody is approved for transplant, it's not necessarily all a straight line to the finish. So for those on dialysis, before dialysis, hang on, learn as much as you can, stay active, do as much exercising as you can. I mean, a lot of times people might be rejected first time out because they're uh, slightly obese. Be as fit as you possibly can because, of course, after a surgery, it's harder to exercise. Mm -hmm. You just want to know that all systems are go and your metabolism is working. And of course, learn as much as you can ahead of time. Talk to as many people as possible. Get your ducks in a row, because of course, any surgery has its risks. Mm-hmm. Clean up that closet <laughs> now. <laughs> get get yeah. your affairs in order, as it were. You know, that's kind of morbid, but it's also just realistic for everybody in the world that has what to pass on uh, materially. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy all the time, but if, if a soul is still alive and there is something that they can do for the world, 
a person can do a lot even when their overall health is compromised. Mm. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for sharing your story with us. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Sure. You're making a difference for all those others who are still waiting and for people who may not even know they have an issue with their kidneys yet. Yeah. Get checked out. (laughs) Yeah. If you're listening, go get checked out. (laughs) Absolutely. Make a doctor's appointment today. Whether you take 10,000 steps a day or just consider it a win to get out of bed in the morning. Progress starts by taking that first step. Join us on June 27th as we step out together for kidney health. Get more information or register for the Walk for Kidneys at nkfi.org walk. Prevention is a big part of our mission at the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. That's why at the end of each episode, Dr. Melissa Press offers a nutrition tip for kidney health. Here's today's nutrition tip about fluid and hydration. Drinking enough water every day has a big impact on your health. It can prevent dehydration, help with maintaining your body temperature, allow for regular bowel movements, and help to prevent kidney stones. Water and proper hydration are necessary to lubricate and cushion your joints, protect your spinal cord and other sensitive body tissues, and help to rid your body of waste through urine, perspiration, and bowel movements. A common question is how much water should I drink in a day? That answer varies by person and health condition and is best answered by your healthcare provider. But in general, you want to make sure you are drinking enough water to produce urine that is a light color. Darker urine may indicate that you are not drinking enough. While water is the drink of choice, other beverages such as tea, coffee, and milk can also keep you hydrated. Don't forget that some of the foods we eat have a higher water content and can help you meet your fluid needs. These foods include soup, fruits, and vegetables. Wondering how you can drink more water in a day? Try a few of these tips. Carry a water bottle with you and refill it throughout the day. Freeze water in a freezer-safe water bottle. Take one with you and then it'll thaw and you have water all day long. Choose water over sugary drinks. Opt for water when you're eating out. Serve water during meals and add a wedge of lime or lemon to your water to enhance the flavor of water and help you drink more water than you're used to. With today's nutrition tip, I'm Melissa Prest, a registered dietitian nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.